0: It is Sunday, January 30th, 2011. This is U62 The Targ. Let's get her going. As we say in the radio business, if you put that on the radio, people will listen to it.
1: All right, here it comes. Anyone who isn't dead or from another plane of existence would do well to cover their ears right about now.
0: Why, what a little tiny microchip. You can... Some Electronics, broadcasting to the world through the miracle of the internet. Ladies and gentlemen, this is U62, the TAR. Mark, 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 Mark. Now your host, a man with a lifelong dream of getting paid to do this, Mark Capet. On this week's show, I give you my Oscar picks, I share my opinions on one of my heroes, and the movies that get you in the mood. It's episode 4.16, The Brass Ring. So sit back, relax, grab yourself some warm root beer and a towel that's oh so fluffy. U62 Natar, you're in for something special. Enjoy the show. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Mark Cap is here, and welcome to this week's episode of The Targ. How are y'all doing on this Saturday morning? Well, I'm recording this on Saturday morning. You'll be listening to it sometime throughout the week, but you know, that's just how things roll. But anyway, let's talk about the big news that happened this past week. Big news, as always, for a movie geek like myself. That is, they announced the Oscar nominations this past week. Now... Continuing a proud tradition that goes all the way back to my early days in college radio, I'm not going to give you my picks in your big categories like Best Director and Best Picture and all that. No, no, no. I'm going to give you the picks in the categories that I've always had good track records in predicting. So let's get to it. The first category that I have a near-perfect track record in is Best Visual Effects. The nominees, Alice in Wonderland, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1, Hereafter, Inception, and Iron Man 2. First up, let me share the uh, pain of my fellow brethren and say that Tron Legacy was absolutely snubbed. There we go. But actually, look at that, though. For the first time in at least 20 years, there were enough submissions that we have five nominees in this category. And, you know, let's be honest, the special effects that people were talking about all summer was... Inception, and that city folding in half, so my money is on Inception. Ah, uh, For Best Original Song, the nominees are Coming Home from Country Strong, I See the Light from Tangled, If I Rise from 127 Hours, and We Belong Together from Toy Story 3. You know, when the Oscars actually draw closer, I am think I'm going to I'm have to do what I did last year, and I'm going to have to play all those songs for you. And you know, my near-perfect track record in this category began in the mid-1990s when Disney's animated musicals dominated this category. So with that nagging in my mind, I want to go with the song from Tangled for tradition's sake. But then again, Toy Story 3 is such a critical darling. But you know what? I'm going to go with tradition. I see the light from Tangled. And lastly here, Best Animated Film. The nominees are How to Train Your Dragon, The Illusionist, and Toy Story 3. This one's kind of tough for me. I haven't seen How to Train Your Dragon yet, but many are raving about it, how it's DreamWorks best, and they're finally past doing all their bitching and whining and pop culture references, and it's actually really good. The Illusionist has gotten a lot of critical acclaim recently and the Academy might feel guilty about not giving the award to uh, the triplets of Belleville a few years back. The Illusionist is from the same folks. Ah, but let's be honest, it's the incinerator scene in Toy Story 3 that had everyone crying and talking for the rest of the summer, so my money is on Toy Story 3. I also did throw out a prediction there for Best Picture, but if you want to see that, I'm going to point you to my blog, chaosinabox.blogspot.com, or maybe I'll talk about it on next week's show. But you know, there was more news out of Hollywood besides the Oscar nominations this week, so let's do the weekly movie news from all the corners of the globe. Hollywood! Hollywood! London, Winnipeg! It's It's time time for the Weekly Movie News! Alright ladies and gentlemen, time for your Weekly Movie News! Here's all the headlines that caught my eye this week. First up, here's a film that's been on my radar for a while now. Uh, You know what the whole thing being gritty reboots and all that? and thanks to the success of Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland, they're starting to do a whole bunch of gritty reboots of fairy tales now. There's one out there that seems really interesting called Snow White and the Huntsman. We all remember the tale of Snow White, right? Uh, the Wicked Queen tells her Huntsman to take Snow White into the woods and kill her, but of course the Huntsman is a decent guy and just can't do it, and instead tells Snow White to run away. Well in this reimagining what happens is the huntsman takes snow white into the woods sits snow white down and says okay obviously the wicked queen has completely gone insane so here's what i'm going to do i'm going to hide you in the woods here for a few years i'm going to train you to be a badass warrior woman so one day you can go back to the castle claim your revenge and claim the throne that actually sounds like a pretty neat idea well, a couple weeks ago they announced that Charlize Theron will be playing the Wicked Queen, and now apparently negotiations are underway with Kristen Stewart, a.k.a. the chick from the Twilight movies, to play Snow White, and Viggo Mortensen, a.k.a. Aragon from the Lord of the Rings movies, to play the Huntsman. So there you go, That's, that sounds kinda stupid but kinda interesting at the same time. I'll probably check it out. Next up from the world of television, I was talking about this a few weeks ago, David E. Kelly, the mastermind behind Ally McBeal back in the day, has uh, signed on to uh, do a new TV show about Wonder Woman. Well, NBC, the TV network, has just commissioned a pilot episode. So David E. Kelly's going to sit down and write that. But here's where I lose faith. McGee, the guy who brought us Terminator Salvation and the Charlie's Angels films, is lined up to direct the pilot. So yeah, the Charlie's Angels films, Terminator Salvation... All kind of good but not great, so my expectations have just completely dropped off the map. And next up, here in my weekly movie news, I have some news on the Alberta government, shockingly enough. Earlier this week, Cultural and Heritage Minister Lindsay Blackett announced that a $200 million blockbuster will be filming some of its scenes in Alberta. Well, we're looking ahead, and the only $200 million blockbuster that's coming up that we'll be filming in Vancouver and doing some location filming in Alberta is the next Superman film. That's right, Superman is coming back to Alberta. I say coming back because in the original Richard Donner film way back in 1978, a wide assortment of southern Alberta locations doubled for Smallville in rural Kansas. And in Superman 3, Calgary doubled for Metropolis. Yeah, so it's really nice to see the Man of Steel coming back to Alberta. And that's the movie news for this week. The Targ News. Asking the difficult questions. Lieutenant, is there a six foot bat in Gotham City? And if so, is he on the police payroll? On U62. The Targ.
1: And if so, what's he pulling down after taxes?
0: Mary Poxleitner, or you might know her better by her stage name, Lights, and that's her latest song, My Boots, here on U62 The Dark. Good afternoon, Mark Cap is still here with you. And you know, there was lots of uh, big stuff happening in movies this past week. There was also the big Sundance Film Festival, the world-famous independent film festival. Notable for me because that's where my hero, Kevin Smith, uh, had the world premiere of his new film, his long-awaited horror film, Red State. Uh reviews uh out of the uh Sundance Film Festival about Red State, well it's uh pretty much what Kevin Smith has been saying about it for the past few years. They say it's bleak, it's unforgiving, and ultimately very, very depressing. Just like Mallrats, as um Kevin Smith was wont to joke. But I don't know, just following Kevin Smith on Twitter and uh reading about what he did at Sundance, it's just you know, I'm really starting to lose faith in my hero here. I think he is just really starting to go insane. Well, not so much insane. It's that I think Kevin Smith is going through his midlife crisis and he's starting to crack under it. You know, he looks at his fellow indie film brethren there, Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez, Steven Soderbergh. They've all broken into the mainstream and had their $100 million blockbusters. And Kevin Smith hasn't done that yet. Originally, it was supposed to be Jersey Girl, but that film tanked. Then it was supposed to be Zack and Miri Make a Porno. Now, I gotta admit, I love Zack and Miri Make a Porno. I think it is an incredibly funny film, but it underperformed at the box office. And this is where Kevin Smith snapped. So then, in order to finally get his $100 million blockbuster... I think what Kevin Smith did was he finally decided to go to the big studios and go like, oh, okay, you guys obviously know everything about making a blockbuster. I will just do everything you tell me to do. And the film that resulted was Cop Out. Now, I'm sorry, I'm a Kevin Smith fanboy, but I thought Cop Out was just a really horrible, horrible movie. They say at the end of the day, the only test of a comedy should be, did it make you laugh? Cop Out did not make me laugh. I also think that uh, something's to blame here is that when Zach and Miri underperformed, you know, that's when Kevin Smith, despite playing a stoner in the movies for all these years, finally fully embraced marijuana. And he's constantly bragging now about how he does everything stoned because being stoned just centers him and focuses him. Well, I'm sorry, but Kevin Smith, When you were clean, you made Clerks 2, which got you a 10-minute standing ovation at the Cannes Film Festival. When you were high, you made Cop Out. If that's not a great ad for not doing drugs, I don't know what is. You know, in many ways, uh Kevin Smith is starting to remind me as being one of those kids from the uh lesser episodes of Degrassi Junior High and after-school specials. You know what I'm talking about, right? We have those kids who come from a broken home. uh Nothing is expected of them. And then they're accused of a crime they didn't commit. So little Johnny goes, Well, if everyone expects me to be a criminal, I guess that's exactly what I'll do. And then he goes on a little shoplifting and vandalism spree. That's how Kevin Smith strikes me. You know, with bragging about how being high just centers him and focuses him, it's like he's going, well, everyone expects me to be a stoner, so that's exactly what I'll do. And now with the announcement about what he's doing with Red State. For Red State, he has decided to distribute it himself. He's not selling it to a studio. He is going to put it in theaters himself. And he's formed a brand new movie studio to do it called Smodcast Pictures. Now, in order to raise money to put Red State in theaters, essentially he's going on this tour all across the USA, and he's making the film a centerpiece of his legendary Q&A sessions. You get to watch the film, you get to ask him questions afterwards, and that's how he's going to raise money. You know, in one way, that is really, really clever, because Kevin Smith has said, you know what, trying to get that $100 million blockbuster, they keep telling me to reach beyond my core audience, but I can't seem to do that, so screw it, I'm just going to play to my core audience now. But on the other hand, it goes back to that impoverished kid from Degrassi theory. You know, it's like, well, everyone says I'm an indie filmmaker, so that's exactly what I'm going to do. All in all, I know is it's interesting times ahead. He says he's only going to make one more movie after this one, and then he's just going to retire. He's going to focus on financing and distributing independent films himself, which, again, kind of a really noble goal. You know, as much as I've been turned off by Kevin Smith in the past few years, I'm tempted to ride this out to the end and see where it all leads up. All I know is interesting times ahead. Uh, once again, uh, we're not going to do... um. We don't have... uh, uh oh, I was ranting about that so much I've lost my train of thought. Let me take a minute to collect my thoughts. <sighs> Once again, we're not doing What's Wrong With Society this week because I had another very calming and centering week and nothing pissed me off. So instead, we got more great music coming up after the break. Hey, have you guys heard? U62 The Dark with Mark Gaffis. Seriously, everybody, you got to check this out. Available online at chaosinabox.com. Who are you? I'm just some guy who's telling everybody about it because it's so amazing. You, 62, that's tar. Be sure to tell everyone you know. See ya. I I wish you Wallflowers with Heroes here on U62 The Tar. Good afternoon, Mark Cap is here with you. Last week I was asking my friends if they had any requests for the show and a friend of mine said, I want to hear you play a song from a movie. So there you go, Heroes by Wallflowers of course from the 1998 American remake of Godzilla. And speaking of the American remake of Godzilla, <laughs> fishing in the discount bin. Alright, let's see what classic film I'm pulling out of my DVD collection this week. Actually, we're not going into the DVD collection. Let's start a special new sub-series on fishing in the discount bin. Something I like to call, Crap I Still Own on VHS. That title is pretty self-explanatory. Now, when I was in Japan, I discovered a time-honored tradition. And that is, Godzilla movies always come out in December. That's just the way that uh, Toho, the studio that makes the Godzilla films, adheres to, and they've done it so long, it has become traditional. And now that December is here, or at least it was when I watched this movie and made my notes, I figured it was time to watch some Godzilla. So I reached into the crap I still own on VHS, and I grabbed the 1998 American remake, Godzilla. Man, I remember when this film first hit theaters in 98. I was completely swept up in the hype, I was all nuts for it. It was one of the first films whose development I'd been following in the media for years. It was first announced back in 1993, falling on the heels of Jurassic Park. In the ensuing years, there were a few false starts but nothing ever came along. And then in 1996, we had that gigantic smash hit and still one of my favorite guilty pleasures, Independence Day. Fresh off that film, the writing, producing, directing team of Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich signed on to make the American Godzilla and they started in the summer of 1997. I was still in college when all this went down and had fully embraced movie gossip websites. Godzilla was one of the first films I knew of to have a rather extensive production blog and you could follow what's filming online. I remember being on their mailing list and getting the weekly newsletter telling me how production was going. That newsletter was called... Gmail. I wonder if Google had to pay Sony Studios to get that name. And let's not forget the massive teaser campaign. Godzilla, you have to admit, had a brilliant marketing campaign, only giving us glimpses of Godzilla, and vowing not to show us the entire beast until the film hit theaters. Pictures did wind up online, however, but the filmmakers had a brilliant way of plugging that leak. They lied and said the pictures were fake. So the movie came out in May of 1998 and there were a couple of weekends later that I went to see it and I remember absolutely loving it at the time. When I popped the VHS into my VCR, it had been a good 7 or 8 years since I'd last seen it. Did I still think it was incredibly awesome? Well the hero of our piece is Dr. Nick Tatopoulos a biologist specializing in mutations caused by radiation. He's pulled away from his study of the Chernobyl earthworm by the U.S. military and spirited off to the South Pacific, where there have been mysterious sightings of a gigantic creature, and this creature leaves a radioactive trail. Since the French have been doing nuclear tests in the area, popular speculation is that it's some kind of lizard mutated by the radiation. While analyzing a Japanese fishing boat that the creature trashed, A mysterious Frenchman watches over the proceedings. The creature then shows up in New York City and starts laying waste to everything. Here's where we meet the love interest of our tale, Audrey, who just happened to be Nick's college sweetheart, but she turned down his marriage proposal to pursue a career in journalism. But she's not yet the star reporter she's dreamed of being, and instead she's the personal assistant to a sleazy New York anchorman. But when Godzilla shows up, and she spies her old sweetheart is on the team, she seizes the opportunity to get the big story. Using Nick's plans, the, the army manages to flush out Godzilla. And I've got to admit, this really is a beautiful scene in the film. The music, by composer David Arnold, is a really great knockoff of John Williams' Jurassic Park themes. And everyone is just awestruck by the size and power of the beast. But then they open fire and there's lots of explosions and special effects and awesomeness. Analyzing the wreckage, Nick discovers that Godzilla is getting ready to lay eggs and he's come to New York to nest. However, Audrey swipes this information and gives it to her sleazy reporter boss so she can finally have the big story. Sleazy boss claims the story for his own, Nick gets thrown off the project for leaking it to the press, and whatever chance of reconciliation for these lovers is now gone. While leaving the scene, Nick is abducted by the mysterious Frenchman who reveals himself to be... well, essentially, the French James Bond. He knows Godzilla was created by French nuclear testing, so he's been sent in by the French government to clean up the mess. French James Bond believes Nick's theory of a nest, and while the Americans go to destroy Godzilla, they'll find the nest and wipe out the eggs. Nick agrees, and they go in search of the nest, with Audrey and her handy cameraman sidekick Victor following them. She helps to cover the story of Nick's victory, thus redeeming herself, winning back Nick's trust, and getting the big story after all. So there's a few more action scenes where Godzilla and the U.S. Army fight, and Godzilla is seemingly killed. The nest is discovered in Madison Square Garden, but before they can destroy it, All 200 eggs hatch and they're all chased around the building by these baby godzillas. Again, back in the theaters, I remember really liking this scene because I was like, Dude, that's just like the velociraptors in Jurassic Park! But now that I'm older and more mature, I'm like, Dude, they ripped off the velociraptors in Jurassic Park. Lame. So they manage to hijack a TV feed and tell the world that the nest is here and it must be destroyed. Audrey covers the story of Nick being right and they fall back in love. They make it out of the building in time, it's destroyed, Godzilla shows up and is all pissed off that his babies are dead, one last big action sequence, Godzilla's destroyed and everyone lives happily ever after, even a lone baby Godzilla who escaped the wreckage and went off to star in the sequel that never got made. Now that I'm older and more mature and I've watched a lot more Godzilla films, I'm starting to understand the criticisms of this film. I understand how this creature is not the Godzilla we know, Godzilla is angry, malicious, and never runs from a fight. This American Godzilla, however, always seems to be on the run, fleeing like a frightened animal. As the story goes, Toho Studios gave Devlin and Emrick a style guide as to how Godzilla was to be portrayed so Godzilla would be true to his character, but Devlin and Emrick willfully threw that out so they could do whatever the hell they wanted. And speaking of poor characterizations, what is up with Matthew Broderick as Nick? He's just so bland. This guy is facing the biggest discovery ever in his field, but he only reacts with, huh, yeah, whatever. That seems to be his whole attitude throughout the film. On the plus side, though, Jean Reno as the French James Bond kicks all kinds of ass. And a, really another interesting thing is that the entire cast of The Simpsons shows up in this. We have Harry Shearer, who's Mr. Burns and Smithers and all that, as the sleazy anchorman, Hank Azaria, Mo the Bartender, Apu and such, as Victor the Cameraman, and even Nancy Cartwright, the voice of Bart Simpson, puts in a cameo. I remember spotting that the first time I saw it and I thought it was all kind of neat. I don't know, I still don't understand the hatred this film inspires. It's loud, it's goofy, it's a lot like Independence Day, but maybe that's why it inspires all the hatred. Devlin and Emmerich took the sci-fi B-movie meets disaster movie formula that they perfected with Independence Day and applied it to a Godzilla film, and the graph didn't take. Throw in the fact that Godzilla isn't acting like Godzilla, and you wind up with a Godzilla film in name only. All in all, it's a fun movie, but it's not a Godzilla movie. And that's Fishing in the Discount Bin. Fishing in the Discount Bin, brought to you by RentMoviesOnline.com Is going down to the video store too much social interaction for you? RentMoviesOnline.com So there we go, Godzilla on fishing in the discount bin. We're going to do a real Godzilla movie in the weeks ahead, so stay tuned for that. Good afternoon, Mark Cap is still here with you on U62 the Targ. Now I know I retired um, too hot for radio a couple weeks ago, but there's still a couple of things that come across my desk that are all sexually charged and I really want to share. They recently did a study among college students and they asked them the question, what's the best movie to watch to get you in the mood? So essentially, what movies make you horny? Now for men, here's the top three. Number three, 300. I got news for you guys. If watching a bunch of shirtless, near-naked, sweaty, muscular men gets you in the mood, I got news for you. Number two, American Pie. I've never seen it, so I can't really make jokes about it. And the number one movie that gets men in the mood? Star Wars. Yeah, I can see that now. Hey, baby, how about I take my uh, lightsaber down your heavily guarded trench and into your exhaust port? I'm sure there are many more dirty jokes about lightsabers I can make, but this show's running on too long as it is. In case you're curious, the top three movies for ladies are... Number three, Cruel Intentions. You know, a movie about uh, bitchy, backstabbing teenagers. How does that get ladies in the mood? Women are indeed a mystery. Number two, Titanic. Awesome choice. As I said, uh, that movie's got everything. It's got rich period drama. It has impressive special effects and naked Kate Winslet. So awesome. And the number one movie that gets ladies in the mood? The Notebook. So there you go, something for your next date night. Got to do some kind of weird notebook Star Wars mashup, and then it'll have a little something for everyone. But I see we're at the end of this week's show, so while you're waiting for a new show next week, you can check out all the other corners of my online empire. Uh, you can swing by my blog, chaosinabox.blogspot.com. You can follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash chaosinabox. And as always, the main hub of it all, chaosinabox.com. I'm Mark Cappas. This has been the Tower Guy. we will see you next week. us to the end of another exciting episode of the targ don't forget you can download a new episode of the targ every week at chaosinabox.com the targ is written and produced by mark Taffis under the watchful eye of 42 star wars action figures the targ is a chaos in a box production
1: a good ride while it lasted. Come on, kids. Let's go home. We are home. That was fast.